You're listening to The Last Word Podcast, hosted by Anna Bellinghausen, featuring sports figures across every league. All right, Jeremiah, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Excited ah, to be on. Of course. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Uh, woke up with my son, hung out a little bit with him, and just hung out, and wife went and worked out, and then she's on her way home. And so we'll just be chilling. I got uh, my agents in town, so we got some meetings with some guys, and we're just hanging out. Well, there you go. It's about all you can be doing right now, working out and doing some business. Yep. That's about all that's available to all of us right now. All right. So my podcast is called The Last Word. Basically, we just talk about your journey through football, yep. talk some Husker football and yep. whatnot. So we'll start off with your Husker years, 2009 to 2013. If you were to put that those years in a sentence, what would you say? Oh, man, I think that it was the years that I found myself as a person and as a player. Um, because you grow up, I mean, anyone that goes to college knows that's how you grow up, right? That's how you find who you are. But I never once going to college, obviously, everyone thought that you were going to be able to, you want to go to the NFL. Like, that's your goal. But I mean, it's such a small percentage that when I got to the or college, I was like, man, I'm just going to get a free education. I'm going to play some ball and then move on with my life. Never once did I think it would set me up to have the career that I was able to have in the NFL. Um, but all that started because of what happened at Nebraska. Yeah, definitely. And the coaching there, you got to see Bo Pelini. What would you describe Bo as? Um, you know, we've seen him go all over. He's going to LSU. What do you think about that guy? Oh, I love Coach Bo. Um, Coach Bo's incredible. He's, he was like a father to me while I was there. Um, he took great care of me. I, I interviewed him for a Team Jack Live segment about a month ago, and he was awesome, just as he always was. He was a true players coach. Um, he wanted to make sure that he took care of his players. He wanted to make sure that his players knew that he always had their back. And he would always tell us, like, hey, I will always defend you. But the second you put me into a corner where it's pretty much undefendable, you have to understand I can't do anything for you anymore. Um, so, I mean, that was kind of his gig. And he was hard on you. He was tough on you. But he'd also know when to wrap his arm around you and help you with whatever you might need. But I think he's going to be fantastic down at LSU. I think Coach Bo, that's a perfect place for him doesn't have to worry about the stresses of a head coach and being more of like a manager versus he's one of the most brilliant defensive minds I've ever been around. And to have him have the athletes and the talent that will be down at LSU, for him to be able to take that over and just continue to roll with it, I think they're going to be really good for a long time. Yeah, I mean, speaking of talent on the team, that 2009-2013 window had some incredible NFL talent. Prince Mukamara, you're talking about Amir, Rex Burkhead, yourself, Spencer Long, Alex Henry, the list goes on and on. Every position, offense, defense, special teams. What can you say about playing with so much great talent at Nebraska? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone likes to kind of knock on Bubba that he wasn't a great recruiter. Um, everyone's like, oh, he didn't recruit. But one thing that Coach Dobson, who was our head strength coach and Coach Bo did, is we developed guys really well. We took guys that maybe weren't five stars coming out of high school or maybe weren't even four stars, but through the development of the Husker or strength program and through the development of Coach Bo's mentoring for guys, it prepared them to go play in the NFL. I mean, I was a three-star coming out of Colorado, Brent Qualley a three-star, Spencer Long an undrafted, or not an undrafted, excuse me, a walk-on defensive lineman. And all three of us are being played in the NFL up till last year when I'm the first one that retired. I mean, you got guys like Quincy Anunwa who came in there and was a freak show right off the get, but then continued to develop. 
I mean, you just, you saw story after story of guys like that. And I think that being around NFL talent like that is what makes a team good. Um, college football is awesome, but you're only going to be good if you have enough talent to beat the other guys. I mean, you see it right now. We got guys on Nebraska's football team that are, I mean, strong as houses, right? They can squat 900 pounds, but we're not winning football games because the talent level has dropped off quite a bit through the Riley era. Now Scott's building it back up, but you can look at all the great college football teams and say, why are they so good? It's because they have NFL level talent. I mean, just look at LSU, right? They had all kinds of guys going to the NFL, Alabama every year. I mean, Ohio State. I mean, you, the name the top five teams, and they're going to put 10 guys in the NFL year after year after year. So Nebraska needs to get back to that. But the ability to play with those guys really helped me transition into the NFL because you were used to going against that kind of talent in practice on a daily basis. Exactly. And another thing that you got experienced during your career was the Big 12 to the Big 10 mm -hmm. switch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I read you first year. I ended up starting all 13 games I think we played that year, maybe 14 with the bowl game at left tackle. And I mean, it was really my first true taste of college football. I mean, and for me, it was it was eye opening. It was extremely challenging. I got I blocked guys like Alden Smith that year, Von Miller. I mean, Jeremy Beal, who was an all-dog Big 12 defensive end. I mean, and meanwhile, in practice, I'm going against guys like Pierre Allen and I'm going against Jared Crick. And I mean, that was just a year of like, okay, once I got through that year, I had a shoulder injury, but it was like, I can play with these guys. And for me, that was the, the okay, this is, we're going to be okay. I can play at this level. And then we made the switch to the Big 10. And I think a lot of people don't really understand what happened there as far as what the team went through. So Bo had put together a team to compete in the big 12, which means we're going to have a defense that rushes the passer 40 to 50 times a game. And we have an offense that needs to score 40 to 50 points because that's just how the big 12 was set up. Now you pivot and you, while you're walking into the big 10 where you now have to have personnel, not just scheme, but personnel to hold up against a Wisconsin that's going to run power in the A-gap 70 times a game and throw the ball 12 times a game. And I think that's where we had some issues. Our offense, we scored at will those first two years in the Big Ten because no one had ever seen an offense like that before. I mean, we were, we were so different. We were spreading them out. We were running. I mean, Ohio State was a little bit, but, I mean, Nebraska was like the true first big spread running gun team that joined the Big Ten in that regard that had the talent to compete. The problem was our defense was trying to catch up personnel-wise. We had to then start recruiting different types of body types. We had to then start recruiting different styles of defensive linemen and linebackers that no longer had to worry about running out the flat and pass coverage. They had to be 245, 250 pounds and thump a guard 12 times a game right there, right? I mean, so that, that, sh that shift and that pivot was hard. And I really think that Bo got fired and let go before he truly had that defense put in place to compete in the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, the first two seasons in the Big Ten weren't bad compared to no. where we're at right now. Eight right. and nine win season games, like we would kill for that right now. I mean, we won nine or – every year I was there, I was there for five years, we won nine or ten games every single year. And, yeah, we, we went to three conference championships. We lost all three. But Nebraska fans are the best fans in the world, but they're also greedy. Uh, I mean, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to really look at something and realize what you have until you're staring at four, two four and eights, three four and eight seasons in a row going, oh, oh, that's, yeah, that's bad. Like, I mean, anyone would kill to be like, hey, if we can't say, hey, we're going to win a minimum of nine games this year, go to a good bowl game and maybe compete for a conference championship. I mean, everyone's signing on the dotted line, right? 
And I think people just thought that we got complacent. I think people thought that Pelini got complacent. I know he wasn't a huge fan with the media. I mean, there was a lot of things going against him. But at the end of the day, he was winning football games. And I really think he was two or three years away from taking that next step. I mean, if you look at the guys he left with here, I mean, Malik Collin, Vincent Valentine, Randy Gregory. I mean, he was bringing these type of defensive guys into Nebraska that were going to be superstars. And they ended up being, I mean, Malik was a third round pick, right? I mean, so he had the places and the pieces in place, but he just didn't get that chance to, like we started this conversation with, to develop those guys in his program to become the NFL type players that we knew they could be. Yeah, exactly. And with those bowl games, you know, you guys went to the Capital One Bowl. Those aren't bad bowl games at all. You know, we're barely making the cut for a bowl game or right on the edge of one, you know, getting a five-win team in there. But talk to me about your bowl game. You played Georgia one year, you mm-hmm. lose. You come back the next year, play them in this, not the same bowl game, but the same team. Yep. What was it like getting that revenge on Georgia in the bowls? I mean, as much as the revenge was great, it was great just to win – the bowl game my senior year. I mean, so we won against the the Washington Huskies, my red or no, excuse me, the Arizona, whatever they are, the Wildcats, my first year when our defense just destroyed Nick Foles, right? I mean, that was Sue, Barry Turner, all those guys. And then we lost the next three bowl games. We lost to Washington the next year. Then we lost to, I think, what, South Carolina, and then we lost to Georgia, and then we finally beat Georgia. So, I mean, as a senior class, we were like, okay, we want to win a bowl game just to get out of here. And and to win it in the fashion that we did, of that, that 2013 season was a mess, right? I mean, we had guys getting injured left and right. We lose Spencer Long for the year. I mean, Taylor Martinez is in and out for the whole year. You got a retro freshman and Tommy Armstrong, and you got a walk-on fifth year and Ron Kellogg. And, I mean, it was just the shuffle of, of injuries that just, like, plagued us. So to finish the year on a high note of going down, beating a very good Georgia team. I mean, that was a good Georgia team. They had Todd Gurley back there. I mean, they had a lot of guys. And, and so winning that game was just a huge thing for the seniors of the 2013. But I also think he was able to quiet a lot of people that were already calling for Bo's head. Mm-hmm. I mean, after we lost to Iowa on senior day there at Nebraska, I mean, people wanted him gone. And I think if we would have lost that bowl game, they might have probably let him go honestly I don't know if they would have or not but um, I think that that got him another year to do because we all rallied behind and we all stuck together because we all believed in him Mm -hmm. Um, but getting that getting that win against Georgia was just such an emotional thing for all of us seniors and I can remember crying and and just being so happy and wearing that hat I mean I still got the hat my dad's got the hat and it just was such a great way to end what was a really tough season yeah I mean you got to ride out into the sunset your Mm -hmm. final season final season you know as a Husker that's got to feel good and yeah no we did hang in there in the Big Ten and it's crazy that Bo Mm -hmm. had put up these honestly good seasons and was still let go but that's just how the program went but we're out of there before Mike Riley came so what did you think seeing the Huskers since you left yeah so I was I'd always come back I trained every year at the university I live here in Lincoln now um, I always trained at the university in the off seasons. And so I got to watch those guys. And I think a lot of it had to do with Riley came in and he's a fantastic human being. I have nothing but great things to say about coach Riley and the way that I was treated and the way he treated all his players. I think that his whole philosophy on how he wanted to coach college football was very much on the way of, he tried to kind of almost treat it like an NFL program. And what I mean by that is very much like self-accountability by the players. 
And in the NFL, that works. That's great because guess what? If you don't do it, they're going to fire you and bring someone else in. In college, you have to teach that. And, and I think that that was kind of a little bit of a disconnect where, and you had old guys hanging on from the bow staff that didn't believe he was supposed to be fired. And then you had, he brought in a lot of guys from the Calabrasca movement type of thing. And, and so I think there was a lot of just a lot of not meshing as a team, which then leads to discontent, which leads to clicks in the locker room and just leads to everything that's a distraction from winning football. And so I think that that was, those were really tough years because he tried to come in and implement an offense that was square peg round hole a little bit with the personnel that we had. I mean, I talked about earlier about the shift to the big 10 and the personnel on defense. Well, you brought in coach Beck and coach cotton and those guys under the bow staff had recruited for a spread offense, a run and gun. You're going to snap the ball a hundred times a game and you're going to do all kinds of stuff. And then all of a sudden Riley comes in with his pro style drop back. Tommy Armstrong's going to throw the ball 60 times a game. And that's, that's not a winning recipe. That wasn't what Tommy was great at. And so that was also an issue. And so I think that, again, I don't think Riley really had time to get his kind of guys in here. He had, you mean Tanner Lee for a year, but then you saw like Patrick O'Brien left and you saw these, these changes of guys coming and going. And I think Nebraska lost a little bit of its identity through the Riley years. Oh, I think it lost a little bit of, they didn't know who they were because some of the kids that were coming here probably never even heard of Nebraska until they got here. Right. I mean, I grew up in Colorado. I knew what Nebraska was through the nineties, early two thousands, even. And when you get guys that don't understand it, or you don't even have really guys on staff that at least lived it a little bit, it's hard to like relive that tradition that is Nebraska. And so I think that Nebraska really lost itself there until Scott came back. And once Riley was let go, and they brought Scott Frost home and they brought him. I mean, this team is going to be good. I just think people really need to give it the time that they need because he inherited a dumpster fire. He, he really did. And you can't just fix that overnight. Now, going into year three here, there definitely needs to be some strides made. We can't keep doing the same dumb mistakes as far as the penalties and the turnovers and the beating ourselves. Now, if we go out there like we did against Ohio State last year and just get whooped because we're not a good team compared to a good team like Ohio State, I can live with that. It's the losses to Colorado where we beat ourselves because we hit a guy laid over the middle or we turn the ball over and we allow these balls over our head way late in the game. Like Those are the things that got to stop because those are things that – I know coach Frost coaches. I've seen him. I know those guys harp on. So now the players got to do it. I mean, you, no coach can take a rep for a player. So I think that they're on the right track. They're moving forward. But I mean, I really think that it all comes down to that lack and that loss of identity through the Riley era. And again, you don't just find your identity overnight. You find your identity through winning football games, winning hard football games and not inventing ways to lose, which it seems like over the last two years, we've invented ways to lose games. Yeah, it seems like that sometimes. But what do you think about the quarterback situation at Nebraska? Do you like Martinez and what he's been putting on the table or his potential or his ceiling there? Oh, absolutely. I think I think this is still Adrian's, Adrian's room. I think it's Adrian's offense. I think that the problem was last year, I believe, that he kind of got anointed king before the season even began. And that's a hard thing to do, for especially a young kid. I mean, he comes off a really good freshman year expect expectations were never higher for a kid like that 
And he starts hitting struggles. He gets a little banged up. His offensive line's not doing awesome at times. The run game's not clicking. He's lost Stanley Morgan. Like, there was a lot of things that stacked up against him. And overall, I thought he handled it well, but he just didn't play great. And that's okay. I mean, you're going to have up and downs. But I think the difference this year is you have a guy in Luke McCaffrey now who is really going to push him and compete. And I was talking with uh, someone about this the other day that was like, when was the last time there was a true quarterback competition at Nebraska? And the more I think about it, it was like, it was between Cody Green and Zach Lee in 2009. Like, if you really think about it, so after that, okay, Taylor Martinez takes over for four years. And then boom, Tommy Armstrong takes over for four years. And then you got Tanner Lee that comes in for a year. And then you got Adrian that basically comes in and starts. And you're just like, when has there been this, like, we got two really solid guys that are going to fight it out and duke it out and push each other to become better. And I think that's what's going to happen this year with Luke. And regardless of who wins that, I think you'll see both guys. Now, I think Adrian will win it because I think he's older and I think he's got a little bit more experience. But I think Adrian will have a shorter leash this year. I think when he starts having some issues or he starts getting into some trouble, they won't be afraid to put Luke in. I mean, they didn't want to burn his red shirt last year, which I thought was an awesome move. Don't burn that kid's shirt. But at the same time, like, I think think they're going to use him a lot like Taysom Hill in the Saints. I think he's going to be part of special packages, but I think Adrian's ceiling is still very, very high. I think he's got a lot to prove. I think he wants to go out and have a lot to prove himself, but I do think the lack of spring ball and all that's going to show up for a guy like Luke and Adrian, which is why I still think with no spring ball, the nod still has to go to the more experienced guy in Adrian. Yeah, exactly. And that's a great comparison to Tyson Hill. Cause I feel like we can run different types of offenses, you know, with Adrian and with, Luke in there so it's going to be an interesting duo to have and I think we'll definitely see both throughout the whole season yeah I mean I think Luke's a guy that you don't want him on the sideline right he's special I mean he's lightning in a bottle at times and so anytime you can put in a wrinkle and Scott's great with the creative play calling and put in a wrinkle and maybe have him on reverse let him run it I mean he's crazy athletic I mean a couple receivers thing yeah I think I think Taysom Hill is a great example of what you can do with a special guy like that. But at the same time, like you don't want to get him hurt because you're a backup quarterback. So it's, it's a fine line. I mean, but I think that they're going to want to use him because he's going to want to get on the field and compete just as much as anyone else. Yes. And going back to yourself, what was it like going through pro day and having hopes of maybe being drafted? Were you expecting to be drafted or what were your thoughts going right through pro day? Yeah, so finishing up my senior year, I I partially tore my MCL, and so I didn't play my best ball my senior year. I thought I played a better ball as a junior, honestly. And I I knew once I didn't get a combine invite that my, my chances of getting drafted were very slim. But that didn't matter to me. I was still going to work, and I was still going to do everything for pro day and just to be ready because I believed in myself that I could play at that level. So going through the combine, I moved back to Colorado. I had a trainer on Colorado that I worked with for – two and a half months there and trained and came back to pro day, had a pretty good pro day. I mean, I didn't blow the doors off by any means, but I didn't also raise any red flags, which for an offensive lineman is really the key. Like, did you just do everything? Okay. Like, all right, now we're going to check your tape. And so I think they looked at my tape and uh, San Diego said, Hey, we're going to take you undrafted as a free agent. I ended up going there and as an undrafted practice squad, 12 weeks ended up getting activated for the last five to the 53 and start the last two. So, I mean, it wasn't an easy journey by any means, but a lot of it was just the belief in yourself and knowing that you can play with these guys. And and no doubt, because once you get into an NFL locker room, no one cares where you were drafted. No one cares how you got there. 
everyone just wants to know, can you play and can you contribute? And that's kind of the mindset I took into it. And it lasted a six year career for me. Yeah. What was it like going into your first NFL game? You came in for an injured guard, I believe, um, in a Chargers game, your first year. Mm -hmm. Were you prepared or what was the conversation? Were you just on the sideline? Yeah, so I got activated week 12 um, when we went to Baltimore because we had, a, again, a ton of injuries that year. But, I mean, the NFL is full of if you have an opportunity, you got to take it. And so we were playing week 16 at San Francisco, and I was the backup guards, um, the interior backups. And right before halftime, um, our right guard breaks his arm. And so my first play ever in a game was a kneel down. So we go out there and we kneel before half. And so I kind of got a chance to kind of compose myself at halftime. Like, okay, you're going to start the second half. Like, let's go do your thing. And I had been prepared because I prepared like I was a starter all year um, because I had a guy named Nick Hardwick, who was a 12 year NFL veteran at center for the chargers who really helped me on what it meant to be a professional and how you have to attack your work every day and what it means to show up to work every day and not just punch his box, right? You wanna actively get better. And so I made sure if and when my opportunity ever came, I was gonna make the most of it. And I ended up playing really, really well that night. We ended up having the largest comeback in Chargers history, kicking a field goal in overtime to win it. And it to this day was probably one of my top five best games I ever played. And I think a lot of it was because you just went out there and you just balled and you, you just didn't think about it a lot. And you just kind of went out there. I remember my first play, I put my hand down. And I was like, oh, that's Justin Smith. Like, I remember watching him a lot as a kid. And then you hit him and you hit him with your hands and you're like, oh, it's still ball. And like you settle in. And so that game will always be extremely special. My wife was actually drove up from San Diego with her family to be at that game. So she got to be there for my first game when I played and and then that really propelled me to starting the next week in Kansas City at right guard, which then led me to my career. I mean, if you don't get on the field as a rookie, your career is harder to get off the ground. But just getting those two games was huge for me. Yeah, for sure. Building up that confidence, you know, where people are looking at you like, can you play? Who mm -hmm. are you? You know, like proving yourself. So that must have felt great for you to, you know, get those wins under your belt. Yeah, I mean, it's such a it's a conundrum of the experience conundrum, right? Everyone experiences this problem when they're trying to find a job or when they're trying to do something. It's like, well, we wish you had more experience. It's like, okay, well, how am I supposed to get more experience if no one will hire me? Well, it's very similar in football. Um, when I was trying to get elevated off the practice squad, they kept bringing guys in off the street. And I'd be like, what are we doing? Like, why am I not getting elevated? They're like, oh, this guy started three games in his career, so he's got starting experience. It's like, okay, well... I would like starting experience too, if you guys will let me. And it just so happened we had like three or four guys that kept getting hurt that they brought off the street. And eventually they were like, all right, we're just gonna, we're just gonna give you a shot. And so now once I got that all important experience, people then don't have the question of can he actually do it in a real game, not preseason, not in practice, like real game, real bullets flying. Can he protect the $17 million investment behind him? And that was that was really for me when I I realized how important it is to get on the field as a young player if you want to have that extended career. Yeah, for sure. And then you're traded to Minnesota. How did that go down and what were your feelings towards moving to Minnesota? Yeah, so going through my second year in camp there in San Diego, I was like, okay, there's a couple options here. I make the team, I get cut all together and released, or I get cut and put on practice squad. Like those are the three options in my mind. Not once did I ever assume that I was going to get traded. Um, so 
five minutes before the cut deadline on Saturday, my wife had moved back to California at this point. She was living with her family and she's sitting with me and we're just waiting for five o'clock to hit. Cause that's when team set for the first week and we're rolling and my phone rings and I'm like, shoot, like I'm probably getting released and put on practice squad. Like that was my guess. And it was the GM from the chargers. And he's like, Hey, it's Tom Telesco. I just want to let you know, like, we thank you for everything that you did. You did a fantastic job for us, but we traded you to the Minnesota Vikings. And I kind of sat there like, I don't, I don't know what that means. And so he's like, go ahead and bring your playbook in. And like, we'll talk when we get here. So I immediately call my agent. I'm like, Hey, I just got traded. Like, is that good? Is that bad? He's like, no, that's good. He's like, that's really good. I mean, someone wants you. Like, that means you're on a team. Like, that's good. So like I went in there and turned on my playbook and then I got on a flight the next morning, hugged my, uh, she was my fiance at the time, hugged my wife and, and said, you know, Hey, I'll see you in Minnesota later, I guess. And so I took off that next morning and I mean, just grinded it out all of 2015 in Minnesota, which was hard for me because if I would have stayed in San Diego, I would have played a lot that year. They had a lot of injuries. They had guys going down all over the place. And I ended up going to the Vikings that year where they were the only team in the NFL that started the same five offensive linemen for all 17 games. And so it was, it was a tough year for me, but I loved my time in Minnesota. I really settled in there in the 2015 or 2016 season, played a lot of football for them, played a lot in 2017 as well. And we made that great NFC championship run that year and had a blast. And I loved my time as Viking. Yeah. What was it like? I have to ask working with Adrian Peterson, um, seeing that kind of legend on the ground and protecting him, making room for him to run. Yeah. I mean, so he's, I mean, he's all of a legend, right? I mean, you look at him and you're like, yep. I remember watching you in Boise on the Oklahoma uh, bowl game and watch you run all over Nebraska and everyone, right. It didn't matter who it was. He ran all over. And so getting to play with a guy like that was really special. Um, he was just, again, one of those things you can never take away from me. I'll be able to look at it old tapes and be like, I played that guy. And it was just really cool to get a chance to meet someone like that, be in the same huddle as someone like that, and really just kind of see the way that he worked and took care of his business. Yes. And then you look at the jerseys behind you, you went to Carolina and the Bills. Mm -hmm. What was it like, you know, mentally going through those teams and having to move? Yeah, so being released by the Vikings was tough because I thought that I had made a good home there, but it's a business and they made a business decision and it wasn't personal. I mean, they all, we have, we still, I still talk to some of those guys and they have nothing but good things to say. But I mean, at the end of the day, the NFL is a business. So getting released, I went out going to Carolina with Norv Turner, who used to be the offensive coordinator in Minnesota, who was now the offensive coordinator in Carolina. So he was the one that actually kind of got me there. And I had a great time. We loved Charlotte. My wife and I loved Charlotte. We, we love the city and we love the team. I mean, getting to play with a guy like Cam Newton was also incredible and seeing how he was, I mean, everyone wonders like, is he really that eccentric and everything? And, and the answer is yes, but he also, he is extremely intelligent when it comes to football. Um, he knows when it's time to work. He knows when to make the reads and all that. And so that was really cool to get a chance to play with a guy like him. Again, another living legend, right? I mean, a guy that I think is going to go have tremendous success at the, the Patriots. And so but the hard part was we had a lot, again, injuries that year. And I ended up starting the third preseason game for them at right tackle. And I'm having my first nine snaps of that game were, excuse me, doing really well. And then I ended up pulling my hamstring. And because of the little injuries that they had, I actually had to get released. And so I went from starting for them to getting released, which was really, really hard. Um, and I ended up signing an injury settlement and having to just come back to Nebraska and rehab that. 
And as I was rehabbing that, my agent was like, hey, once you're healthy, there's a lot of teams that are interested. And so that, that gave me a lot of confidence. Again, I had that experience. I played a lot of football at this point. And so the Bills were the first team that were like, hey, as soon as he's healthy, you let us know. We're going to come work him out. And so I went and I worked out there on a Friday. And they were like, hey, we have a game this weekend. After the game, we're releasing someone. We're signing you on Monday, which is awesome. But at the same time, the NFL is full of liars. So we didn't truly believe that. So I had a workout on Indianapolis on Monday. Um, so I fly to Indianapolis Sunday night and I'm sitting there and Chris is calling them. They call right after the game. They, this is the week that the Bills beat the Vikings in 2019 and they beat the Vikings. And so Chris is like, calls them. He's like, Hey, and they're like, all right, we're still going to do it. He's like, well, just so you know, he's in Indianapolis right now. And he has a workout for the Colts tomorrow morning. And they're like, okay, we'll let you know right away. And so we don't hear back from them at all that night. So I'm waking up and I'm on my way to the Indianapolis facility to, for this workout when my agent calls me and he's like, do not work out. They have a contract offered to you right now. Like find your way to the airport, get on a plane, get to Buffalo. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I get to the facility and Indianapolis is like, all right, you ready to work? I was like, actually, I have a contract offer in Buffalo right now. Like unless you guys can match that and maybe put a little bit more on it, um, I'm leaving. And they were like, no, that totally get it. Makes sense. Best of luck. And we'll get you a ride. And they gave me a ride to the airport. And I went to Buffalo and signed in Buffalo that day and was ended up practicing that week. And we went to Green Bay that next week. And that was kind of the, the whirlwind of how that all went down. But that is very much natural life in the NFL for the normal player. You don't hear that story with Cam Newton or Aaron Rodgers or Joe Flacco or, I mean, but the journeyman of guys that grind out career after career, year after year. That is a very common theme. Um, one of my good buddies, Zach Zenner, was on, I think, six teams last year and has stories like that. If he was on a plane and they were like, get off the plane, and they're like, no, we already shut the door, and he had to fly back to Minneapolis, like me, his wife, drive around the parking lot, get on one of them, fly back to another place. And it's just, it's nature of the beast in the NFL, but it's such a rewarding and such a fun job. Yeah, seriously. I mean, getting to finally get out there in front of a crowd of, you know, tens of thousands of people, that has to be, you know, well worth all that travel and, you know, all your practices kind of come together and you're like, I'm here. You know, what was it like saying to yourself, I made it? It was crazy. I mean, you don't, you don't really reflect on it until you're done um, because it is such a grind year in and year out, day in and day out when you're in it. And even in the off season, you got plenty to worry about of working out and staying healthy and making the team again. And it wasn't really until just recently that I retired and I was able to look back at my NFL career and be like, wow, like I did that. Like that was something that I've dreamed about doing since I was a child, since I ever put the helmet on in Alameda football in Colorado. And, and I was like, man, I want to play for the Broncos one day or whatever it was like you look back on it and you see the guys that didn't make it and the guys you played with in college or even played with in high school. And you lived out a dream. I mean, literal dreaming mean, kids grow up. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be, I want to be like, that was point like, Oh, oh 1% of people get to actually do what I got to do. And so blessed to do it. So incredibly thankful to do it. And just so happy that I was able to actually walk away from the game. Not when I wanted to, but I'm still healthy enough. Cause that's the big thing is a lot of times you walk away from the game because the game makes you 
And yeah, I could have came back and played, but the risk of re-injury just wasn't there for me to want to risk that. So I was able to walk away on my terms, which was big. Yeah, I mean, post-retirement, you start a family, you start getting into radio and broadcasting and get into, you know, Husker sports. Mm -hmm. What was it like post-retirement where you're like, this is so weird, I have time for myself? Yeah, I mean, so I don't think it's really hit me yet. and it, it will in the fall. Um, come football season and I'm not on a team and I'm not preparing for a game on a Wednesday in the middle of September, it's going to be weird. It's going to be very weird. Last year I had the ankle surgery, so it wasn't as weird. But this year's going to be strange. It's going to be very strange. But at the same time, I've been able to get on with Husker Sports Network now. And so I get to cover football with them, which I'm so excited about. And again, I, I started opening doors for my next career opportunity with whatever that may be. And because that's when the NFL open, opens a lot of doors for you as far as what you want to do. And I love radio. I love broadcasting. I love podcasting, talking football, talking about it all. I think it's a blast. And so I'm definitely going to be exploring this option. And there's some other irons in the fire I got rolling right now. But it's been nice to have this time. I actually caught myself. I was golfing last week. And I was like, man, I'm only going to get to golf like one or two more times before summer's over. And then I had to think like, I have the entire month of August. Like that month exists for me again. Like that month has not existed since I was 14 years old. And so that's going to be fun. Uh, my wife's birthday is the 2nd of August. Mine's the 8th. This will be one of the first birthdays we actually get to like see each other on. So it's just, it's, it's nice to know that you don't have that looming cloud and that, that stress that is the NFL, but I'm going to miss it. And it's going to be hard. There's going to be times that I'm, I'm a wreck because I'm not playing. And I know that. And I've prepared like my wife and my friends for that. But the one thing is I'm going to get my hunting season back and I cannot wait for that. Well, that'll be awesome. Jeremiah, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, you know, good luck with everything you do. I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot of you around Nebraska and covering Nebraska football, hopefully when, when we have a season, whenever that will be. But that's another story. Oh, that's a whole other story. But please, Lord, let it be in the fall. I know. Spring would just be not horrible. right. Horrible. Be horrible. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Have a great one. Keep in touch. Will do. Appreciate you having me on. Of course. Have a good one. You as well.